Yeah, okay. Um, question number one. Um, <clears throat> True or false moralism is legalistic, ignores the grace of God, and replaces the work of Christ with self-help? The answer is true. That is, that is moralism. Um, and it is legalistic. It's not good. Basically, moralism, the idea he talked about in Preaching Christ, the chapter on Preaching Christ. The idea is that the, um, the difference between Christian preaching versus other religions of preaching, say like Judaism or Unitarianism, as he mentioned the two, was that Christian preaching must appeal to the grace of God. And I don't know if you noticed this, but when we talked about the FCF, we defined the FCF. Do you remember what the definition was? Well, that's, the, that, that's true. That is, that is the definition. But the actual, like, uh, let me see if I can find it in our notes here. Um, well, that we have a problem that we can't fix on our own right. power. Correct, and that, that's the idea. So, oh, let's see. Let me look this up here. It's like something, it's like a, uh, it's a common, it's a mutual share condition between our, uh, the, the original audience and uh, the contemporary audience that requires the grace of God to overcome. Something like that, right? Something like that. But the key is that God's grace is needed to overcome whatever situation it is. It's not just work harder, be better. It's, um, you have to, so if you look at the story of Daniel, it's not just be better, be like Daniel. It's that there is a, there is a fallenness of us that needs to be addressed that Christ gives us power to overcome. And that's, that's the Christ-centeredness. And we'll talk about that a little bit more as time goes on. But that is moralism. It's a very dangerous, it gives people the idea that they can solve their own problems. That they don't really need God. They just need to be told what to change. Okay, what makes Christian preaching distinctively Christian? Kind of gave you the answer there. What did you guys put? What are some of the answers? I know it was a blank. I put we rely only on God and not in ourselves. Okay. That would be fine. Um, Christ is the center and purpose of the message. That's a little bit more where I was going. Anybody else have one that's sort of different than that? What was that one? Sorry. Christ is the center and purpose yeah. of our message. What would you put, Derek? Uh, bring it back to the gospel. Okay. Yeah. Anything different over here? Abby, can you read my, I don't know if it's Sure. Instead of being focused on what we can do, it is focused on what Christ can do through us. Yeah, that's fine. The idea of the, the um, Christ being the power, the grace of God being the, the enabling power that gives us the strength to accomplish, that should feel out of touch or out of place in a Jewish setting or in a distinctly, uh, in a non-Christian setting. You know, um, this is this would not be at home at a TED talk. Okay, if you if you preach, it's kind of like how Paul, when he's preaching, they're fine until he talks about resurrection of the dead, and, and then they're like, "Oh, get out of here!" You know what I'm talking about? And 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 that is that is kind of what we're dealing with here when we talk and we preach. There ought to be a moment in our sermon where the person who's unregenerate, who hears our message, is like. Who does not either does not resonate with them, or they don't, or it should it should conflict with their current beliefs. It ought to call them, it ought to convict them, but it ought not to be like massaging the unbeliever. Does that make sense? Yes. Okay. What does Adam thinks about what does Adams think about the promoting self worth from the scripture? A. Preachers and teachers ought to encourage those listening to see their own self worth so they feel confident enough to obey God. B, preachers and teachers ought to encourage those listening to pursue greater self-worth so they can obey God more fully. Or C, preachers and teachers ought to encourage those listening to see the contrast between their position in Christ and their own largely unrealized potential in daily living so they will repent. C, C. he is a big enemy of what's called the self-esteem movement. And I agree with him here. The danger of self-esteem movement is the Bible never, ever commands you to love yourself. It's never there. It says you must love others as you already love yourself. But it's the assumption that we love ourselves. In fact, a lot of the low self-esteem that people say they have is actually very high self-esteem in disguise. Let me give you an example. People say, I hate myself. I'm so ugly. You know what they mean by that? I love myself. I'm way too good to be this ugly. (laughs) That's what they mean. If they really hated themselves, they say, yes, I am the ugliest person in the world. That's awesome. I hate myself. No one ever says that. When they say they hate themselves, what they mean is they hate their circumstances because they love themselves. Okay. 
Very often that's the case. It's backwards. And we, we, we say, oh, you need to love yourself. And, and that is that's a very psychobabble way of dealing with problems. It does not solve a person's problem. Okay, and he's big on that. Of course, he's he's a he's a counselor, so everything to him looks like a counseling situation. He's a you know, as I say, a hammer in search for a nail, a search of a nail. So as he he gives his illustrations, he very often goes back to counseling. And I thought that they, he really wanted to make sure we understood that there's no place. And he even calls out Hokuma here, who Hokuma is a, a, a big time theologian who talks about the image of God. Um, I admire Anthony Hokuma, but he he calls him out and says this guy fell for this. Um, so I haven't investigated that um, citation, but I imagine he's correct because um, Adams is pretty, pretty, uh, pretty astute. Number four, which one of these is not what you should work on concerning your sermon delivery? <clears throat> so A, not allowing personal practices, habits, patterns, mannerisms, and fear in the use of voice and body to get in the way of the message. B, develop a flexibility in the use of voice and body broad enough to match the wide spectrum of biblical teaching. C, adopt a willingness to allow biblical content to determine how your body and voice will respond regardless of what requires. Or D, committing to a variety of flamboyant hand and face gestures to undermine the message being communicated. D. It is D, yes. I hope that wasn't too confusing. I basically copied and pasted from the, from the book. The first three are word for word from the book. And then I just made up the idea of using flamboyant. The confusing thing is the double negative. What was, what was the double? Oh, did anybody pick A? I picked A. Okay. <laughs> I did too. <clears throat> did you not see the, flam- <laughs> the flamboyant hand I gestures? Didn't he didn't get no, that far. That's really not because I didn't see the I, knot in there. Oh, okay. So I didn't see the knot in the question. I was like, oh, 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 oh. I'll give you half credit. I'll give you half credit because I thought that I, I kind of gave you a pretty I, – I know, I know that I didn't, re- I didn't see the double negative, to be honest, as a problem. I just, what I did was in writing this question is I found that and I thought, okay, here's a list of things. There's no way they're going to remember those things, but maybe they can pick out something that's not one of those things. So I copied and pasted it and I gave you one that was, I thought was obvious. I'm sorry. I thought, I thought committing to a variety of flamboyant hand and face gestures that undermine the message being communicated is not something you should do. I, I'm sorry. I just kind of thought that was obvious. But I guess, I guess not. I can see. I understand why you picked what you picked. I'm not making fun of you. I just really, you, you know, sometimes. No, I'm not. I promise. I promise I'm not. I, I'm just, you know, you try. You try to, to. It's hard to write quizzes. I don't know if you guys ever tried to do that. It's hard. So I'm, I'm, I'm trying. <laughs> I'll give you half credit. What's that, Charles? Yeah, well, you know, you, you say, okay, you about time's up. I know, I know. <laughs> so, I just took a so I got it right. Okay. Oh, I'm sorry about that. Uh, well, give, give you half credit for that. I mean, I, I've given you guys a lot of, uh, it's not like it's, it's a value, it's, it's an assessment of your value as a person or of your, even your reading comprehension. It's just kind of a, one of those things. Five, what central idea must guide your delivery? Is it the hidden meaning of the passage, the purpose, the characters, or the comedy? B, the purpose, purpose, purpose. Preaching with purpose, purpose, purpose is his main idea. Okay. Four points per two points. If you got the one on four, is an A. And then write the number at the top and pass it in. Okay. Reading doesn't count for any. No, 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 no. The last two chapters are like a page each. I mean, right? Or were they in paper? Like two pages, maybe? I have it as um, a Kindle book, so I don't. I don't really know the page stuff very well. I can't really assess that. Okay. Yeah, it has pages. Like I, when I cite it, it gives me a page numbers. So I, um, I got you guys uh, outlines. I scanned them in. I want to, I want to kind of talk through these because um, most most of you did a good job. Most of you did a good job. Um, but I, I want you to see where maybe people around you are doing a better job at you than you are, and maybe that'll help you sharpen. So this is, um, so what I have here is uh, it's Cadence, right? Is that yours? And then this is Abby's. And then I have Rachel's. And I have Charles. And then I have Kevin. Then I have Wendy. And Wendy gave me a bunch of stuff, so I'm not going to be, that's it. And I, who am I missing? Matt, Pat, yours. 
You took a picture of my. I did. I have it. I have it over here. No, no, no. I have it. Where did it go? Here it is. So I'm just going to add Pat's right there. Who else am I missing? Anybody? I thought it Ryan. Is that it? No. Did you send? Donna is one who's not in there either. There's Pat, Cadence, Abby, Rachel. I know I had yours. Yeah, Genesis 22. It's right here. Okay. There it is. Okay. So um, let's talk through some of these. And let me give you kind of some ideas on what we're doing with this homiletical outline. Because I realized I didn't explain this. I didn't manage my time as well as I wanted to. I've mentioned that a couple of times. I'm sorry about that. But I want, I want, to, I want to be able to explain what we're doing with a homiletical outline so that it's not, it's not so burdensome. I felt like I, I burned you too much a little bit with this. Like it was like a, a big weight. Like you weren't sure how to handle this because I talked to a couple of you privately about it. And so, so the idea behind a sermonic outline, which is maybe what we should call it because homiletical outline is a sermonic outline. So when, when you preach, you're preaching a message to congregation or you're teaching. And this is really, especially with you ladies, often what happens with ladies teaching is that it, it doesn't, it doesn't have teeth to it. Okay. It tends to be a little like teachy from what I've heard. Okay. And it's, it's because, uh, it's, it lacks a little confrontation. And so I want you ladies to feel like you have the, you have the ability to kind of deliver some, like some meaning, like some, uh, you're, you're speaking to people and you can put pressure on people from the word of God. That's what God's calling you to do with when you're preaching and teaching. It's not just like, here's some information, do with it what you want. It's not that it is. You're calling people to act. And because with a sermonic outline, you're preaching to the congregation. And that really is your focus that therefore, um, you ought to do a couple things. One, you ought to use you as much as possible instead of we, okay? You ought to use you instead of we as much as possible so that you are actually confronting people with truth. Um, and you ought, to be, uh, you ought to be short and sweet. Now, Charles's is really long and complicated, and his is, and not to pick on you, Charles, his is excellent in many respects, um, but what you'll find is that you have plenty of time in your message to expand. So think of it like, you know, you are going to give something in seed form almost like it's a full thought, but all the implications of that thought and all the details of that thought and all of the elements of that thought are, are present within your main points. So your main point, let's just say point one, you have a because you know, you must, this is broad enough to encompass everything in your first point, but not specific enough or, but, but, um, broad it's just broad enough to encompass everything, but not too broad that it encompasses more than what's in your first point. Let me say that again. Your, your, your main point. Number one is going to be broad enough to encompass, to have everything within your first point but narrow enough so it doesn't bleed over into other points. So you're just really talking about what's in your first point. Uh, and it's a complete thought. That's why I like to have you guys write, use complete sentences with your, your main points. Now you'll notice if you're a if you are, you know, being a, a, a good student that actually on Sunday, a lot of my points are not really main, are not really full sentences and that's okay. I'm, I'm allowed to break the rules. You're not allowed to break the rules. Um, but uh, the, the reason I'm doing this is to make sure you understand a, it's a full thought. And all of this has to be all of your idea here, okay? So when you write a sermonic outline, you want it to be shorter than your exegetical outline. Because your exegetical outline, your exegetical outline is not an outline of your sermon. It's an outline of the text. Okay, this is an outline of your sermon. 
if I had to compare these two. Okay, of your section of the Bible, you are breaking down what this text is saying. And you are, if you had to think of it like this, this is like, if you're doing a project at your house, if you're doing like a, like, let's say you're building, let's say you're um, redoing your bathroom. This is like, this is like a, a parts list that you take to Lowe's. Okay. It has everything you need. And you are, you are developing a parts list and a plan, maybe a blueprint. But, but this is like the 3D render, okay? Or the finished product even. This is what you're ending up with. You have to have this to get to here, okay? But this actually, you don't see every nail. You don't see every, um, every bit of that project. You, a lot of the stuff blends together, you know? in a project. Like if you look at my bathroom, we redid my bathroom a couple like last year and you don't see all of the different elements of it. It looks like a unified one piece. And that's the idea behind a sermon is you're trying to get a unified idea using the elements that you, you get you that you pull together from your exegetical outline. So you're going to have a lot of things here which you probably can return to Lowe's. Okay? You have some parts of your exegetical outline that you say, you know what, that's really interesting, but it kind of is going to end up on the cutting room floor because it doesn't have any place in my current message. Maybe I'll use it later, which is why I save all my work notes that I do when I do a message. I save all of my exegetical work because that's timeless, so to speak. Like That could be used in multiple different ways. Because a passage of scripture is teaching something that you can only focus on one part when you're, when you're preaching or teaching. And so that's your, that's your theme or your proposition. And you're preaching to the congregation. And you have points, main points. One, two, maybe three or four. Four max. And all of these points then, all of these main points, you know, two, three, they all point back to the theme or the proposition. It's the same word. The propositional statement. Which is the the overall idea, the big idea behind your message. Okay, So this is a sermonic outline. This is what I'm looking for when I talk about a homiletical outline. I'm looking for something you can preach. You could get up and preach. Let's look at, let's look at Pat's. Let's see how well he does. No, no, every, this is a safe zone. This is a happy place. Everybody, everybody's here to build each other up. We are here for the edification of the brethren and sisterin. So we are not here to break each other down. We're here to build up. So let's talk about Pat's here. His first, his first point is, um, or does he have, okay, he doesn't have his proposition listed at the top. Um, but let's, do you know your propositional statement off the top of your head your, for your whole message? I think it's, um, well, if I can find it, um, propositional. We'll come back to that. Okay, point one, because we cannot see... Well, because we're at war, we must equip ourselves with the word of God. Oh, that's great. Because we're at war, we we must must equip equip ourselves with the power of God. So you notice, you must equip yourself with the power of God. It's his first uh, application, or first um, exhortation. The second exhortation, you must know God's truth. And the third exhortation is you must fight with the Holy Spirit. So his three true three becauses because we cannot see our biggest enemy, because the enemy discourages us, and because we are in a spiritual war. But your proposition was because we're in a spiritual war, we need to equip ourselves with the power of God. Okay, so what I would suggest on this is that you need to make one of those unchanging, one of those sides of the coin here consistent. And you had here we're in a spiritual war, maybe the most broad of the three, and that might be the one you repeat every time. So if you did that, you would say, because we're in a spiritual war, equip yourself with the power of God. Because we're in a spiritual war, you need to know God's truth. Because we're in a spiritual war, you need to fight with the Holy Spirit. And then what happens is, as you talk about being in a spiritual war, what happens when you're in a spiritual war? Well, the enemy discourages us. You see how the idea of the enemy discouraging us is within the concept of being in a spiritual war. But if you change too many things in your main points, it's going to get confusing to people about what you're focusing on. So that would be my suggestion for you. So is to, is to say all of these here, that we cannot see our biggest enemy, basically that 
this we are in a spiritual war probably because should be we are in a spiritual exactly war. exactly that, yeah that hits home no we're in a spiritual war yeah because that's the whole idea behind that passage is yeah. is put on the spiritual armor to fight a spiritual war okay. but then i could use these other because as i use like i can use them for um, you must well sort well we cannot see our biggest enemy is an aspect of being in a spiritual war it's 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 a it's an element of being in a spiritual war. So you can use you can talk about that when you're equipping yourself with the power of God. Why do we need to equip ourselves with the power of God? Well, we can't even see our biggest enemy. Uh, or maybe that is your maybe I mean if you like that better, we can't see our biggest enemy rather than we're in a spiritual war because that has a little bit more punch to it. That's a little bit more like catchy. Maybe you use that as your repeated idea. Because we can't see our biggest enemy, equip yourself with the power of God. Because we can't see our biggest enemy, know God's truth. Because we can't see our biggest enemy. You know what I'm saying? Maybe that's what you do. Because that has a little more punch to it, okay. in my opinion. What do you guys think? What catches your attention more? We, the enemy, or we are in a spiritual war, or we cannot see our biggest enemy? Probably that one. What pays more? What would get you out? You know, wake up. One, this one here, right? Yeah. We cannot see our biggest enemy. Yeah. That shocks you more. Yeah, because it, it raises them. What is the biggest enemy? You don't answer that question, like on its face. It's a little bit, you know. But that's that. That's really good. I mean, it's the right idea. It's the right idea. Okay, and you have a great passage for that. Okay, let's keep going. Um, let's talk here about. Let's see if I can zoom in a little bit here. I don't know if you guys can see this is cadence because God has saved you from so much. You must act righteously. Okay. Um, so she's going to repeat. Do you want to say anything before I talk about your thing? No. Okay. She's going to repeat act righteously every single time. You see this here? Act righteously, act right. And she's already broken out her main point into her sub points. Okay. So, because you were once without God, you must act righteously. Because God has made you His, you must act righteously. And because you are His workmanship... I didn't know exactly what to do for the third point. You must act... Um, is there something wrong with that? I mean, you are His... Here, here is... You want to pass this to her? This is her... Paper. I mean, my in my exegetical outline, I really like the um, my main points for who we once were, what God has made us, and who we now are. Yep. Um, but I didn't know how to phrase that because you aren't. I guess like because you are now someone else or different. I, I would. Um... So you're talking past, present, future, really, right? It's like time. Um, I, who we once were, what God has made us. Yeah. And then who we now are. Who we now are. Yeah. It, or is it, it's not who we will be, it's who we now yeah, are. Because who we now are, we are saved through faith, we are Ah, uh, uh, okay. I don't think this is a problem. I, I kind of like the way you have it here. Um, because God, I would say because God has made you his own, maybe. I would maybe say that. Uh, you must act righteously. What does it mean to be his own? We are alive with him. You are saved by his grace. You are heirs of heaven. Okay? And because you are his workmanship, you are saved through faith. You are created for good works. I think that his workmanship... It doesn't really support the support. Well, his workmanship and created for good works is kind of the same. If you look at that passage, what it's saying is you are... By grace you save for faith, not of yourselves, gift of God, not of works, as anyone should boast. Um, and then he says, but we are, we are created for, we are, oh man, I just lost it. Yeah, in Christ Jesus for good works. We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. So what I'm saying is, is that you could say, where's verse 9, by the way? I don't see verse 9 in there. It should be 8 or 9, right? And then... The saved through faith, saved for faithfulness or something like that. You know what I'm saying? Like, 
you are his, ma you know, you are his, what does workmanship mean? Uh, we are, um, like, designed by God. Yeah. Um, especially, like, specifically how he wants us. And I really like that point, um, just because I feel like um, what his workmanship is really special, that he created us in his image, and we yeah. are specifically designed. So I did want to bring that out a lot. I for sure. Do you guys have a suggestion for how she could maybe, because the word workmanship is maybe could be tweaked. It's already in the text. So how could we, can you think of another way of saying that same thing? Because um, you could combine these two, these last two here. We're not really having to get into that. We're basically talking big picture here. It's not to overdo it, not to overanalyze, but. Can you help her with that word workmanship? Because you are his workmanship. Is there another way of saying that? Design. You're his you, vessel. Um, vessel, design. Uh, yeah, he's the potter, we are the clay. Um, that's an analogy that's, that's used, I guess. Mm -hmm. You are his creation. His creation. I see the verse as saying we're his workmanship. He's working with the Holy Spirit in us to bring us to be more like Christ. Yeah. And he also uses us to fulfill what his will is. Yeah. You know, he uses us. We are his slaves, you know, his servants. So I guess what I'm asking is expand on what workmanship means a little bit. This idea we're his project. We are his, we are what he's working on. Like we are his ongoing, it's hard to say exactly what, I mean, you might take a little bit of, of like thinking about this to kind of come up with something. Since my sub points would be then safe through faith and safe for faithfulness. Um, do you think that actually really supports it to say like we are his design, safe through faith, safe for faithfulness? Yeah, yeah. You're, we're his, so again, we're his design. Say, say we're his design. Let's say you use that word. We are his design. How do we become his design? We're saved through faith, not of ourselves. And then what do we do? What do we save for? For faithfulness. That is what he's making us for. We're his design. He designed that. He 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 intended that for us. Like we're not. It's not an accident. Yeah. I mean, you you've you've got the right idea. I just think workmanship is it's it's the word that's used in the text, which is fine most of the time. But because workmanship, like I had to sit there and think, hmm, how would I exactly explain that? Like if I were preaching this, I'd want to use another word, so that when people hear workmanship. I don't know if they really like nothing like comes to mind necessarily, but if you can think of a way, um, this isn't right, really right, but I at one point was thinking something like masterpiece, you know, like you are his masterpiece. Like that's not really what it's saying, but that's the idea where if you say masterpiece, people are like, Oh, I know what that means. You know, it's the idea. He's, he's working to make something that's beautiful. Um, when I think, I think of like a project, like a road under construction. Right. Every day you go by that same road, and every day a little bit more is done, but it takes a long time before it's completely done. We are his work in progress. Yeah. You could even say. That's what Ruth Bell Graham said. She said she was always under construction. Yeah. And I think something like that, like a work in progress, might be a better way of saying it than like workmanship. You do artistry. We're his artistry. Yeah, work in progress is good. Um, work in progress, work, yeah. All those, all those are good. Technique, craft, Somebody's on thesaurus.com. <laughs> Real construction, always under work. Okay, so let's look at Abby's. Are you good, Cadence? Does that help? Okay. Um, Abby's is, her prop was because love is a more, a more excellent way of life. You must love others as, God's, as God describes. So because God, um, sorry, because love is the most valuable spiritual gift, you must love others as God describes. So she's going back. The spiritual gift is the context, right? Chapter 12. And, and here in a I'll show you a more excellent way. And then um, all the other spiritual gifts depend on love. Tongues, prophecy, knowledge, faith, generosity, and nothing on their own. Um, yeah, and what, if I were you, I would make each one of these things. They're all saying something slightly different. So if I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love. I'm a sounding brass or tinkling cymbal. It's saying something slightly different than if I give my body to be burned, but have not love. It profits me nothing. So there's a, so kind of break those out, break those all out into sub points. Okay. But let's stick with your main points here because love is the most valuable spiritual gift. You must love others because love is self-sacrificing. You must love others as God described. That's great. Love is a way, love in a way is patient, kind, love in a way is not self-focused, love in a way that endures love because love. Okay. Do you notice what she did here? I want to commend you for this. You notice what she did here in A, B, C, and D? 
keep it the same beginning? Like no. Each one of these is a command. Each one of these is a, is a imperative. She could have said, love is patient and kind. Love is not self-focused. But she said, love in a way that is patient and kind. Love in a way that is self. You see how that, that's excellent. That's confrontational, but not mean. So, no, seriously, this, this, is what, this is what I'm talking about when you're like, you're, you're, if you were doing exegetical, you would say, love is patient and kind. Homiletical is love in a way that is patient and kind. Now you're talking to me, and you're saying, if you're not loving in a way that's patient and kind, you're not obeying God. Okay? Excellent. Really, really good. Um, and then because the world is temporary, oops. Let me just get out of this. Sorry. I thought that would help. Um, because the world is temporary, you must love others as God describes. Childish things only last for seasons. Show our world is temporary. Good. Blurry mirror contrast, good. Because love will endure internally. Now, here I would say that I would probably combine these two because you have temporary and eternal. So it probably is the same idea. Just what is a contrast between temporary and the eternal. So think about, you don't have to. If you want to keep it four, that's fine. I'm not going to write your sermon for you. But I'm saying you can if you want to, because there's not a lot there on number four. It's pretty quick. Um, I think it kind of, follows logically. Any comments or help for Abby? It's pretty good. It's perfect. It's excellent. Good job. Good job. Um, Rachel, uh, her proposition is because you are light through Christ, you must avoid and expose darkness. Um, So because you are light through Christ is her first part of her prop. That's her anchor. That's what's going to stay the same. Ephesians 5, 8 through 14. Um, If you don't know that... um, this is the passage here. Uh, you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. So it's that this phrase here is where she's getting this because you are light through Christ, right? Basically? Am I wrong? Okay. So walk as children of light. Okay. So um, how do you do that? So because you're children, uh, light through Christ, you must walk in the light. How? By demonstrating the fruit of the Spirit, by discovering how to live the way God wants you to live, right? So she's describing the two hows of that. And number two, because you're light through Christ, you must completely reject darkness. So verse 11 through 14, and have no fellowship with unfruitful works of darkness, expose them, for it's shameful. So how? Do not associate with it, don't speak, don't be around it, and expose it, verse 13. Therefore, he said, do you go to verse 14? You don't, do you? I originally did, but I'm not really doing anything with it. Okay. I think you should because you could say something about the source. So Christ giving you light is like the, the source for, or the, the way in which. And here's where you could, we were talking earlier at the beginning of class about Christological focus, being in Christ. What does it mean? You said here in your thing, because you are a light through Christ. What does it mean to be light through Christ? It means that he is the one, when you trust Christ, when he, he, his light that comes from the Spirit and the truth, you see what I'm saying? It's, 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 Christ, it's, it's Christocentric. It's Christ-centered. It's Jesus-centered. Christ will give you light. This isn't like an inner light. You know, this is Christ, Christocentric light. I can't think of a better way of saying it. So, you are sleeping. Arise from the dead. Christ will give you light. I think that's a good... Let me see if there's any more context that we need. Nope. Nope, that should be fine. Um, so, I was going to say something about... So, how you're, how you're structuring this, whether or not you realize you did this, is what you're saying... And I, and I think this is cool, is you're doing, you're telling us what to do and you're telling us how. Okay? We are to walk in the light. And that's a very, very broad thing. Like, how do you walk in the light? Well, let me tell you how to walk in the light. Here's how you walk in the light. Number one, you demonstrate the fruit of the Spirit. When you demonstrate the fruit of the Spirit, you're walking in the light. That ties into what Charles is going to say in 1 John. And when you live in a way that God wants you to, verse 10, how did, how, what verse is that? Yeah, we find out what is acceptable to the Lord. So live, not just, maybe sharpen your language here a little bit, something like by um, 
discovering the, oh, that might be fine because you have two Ds there, demonstrating and discovering. So I don't want to do away with your uh, alliteration if I can help it. Well, good job. Your preacher didn't even know it. You got to take advantage. You got to take credit for it. You got to take credit for that. And it's a D. It's not a P. Most most alliteration from preachers is P's. The purpose, the plan, the precision, the Pentecost. It's just all P's. Um, no, but it's good. It's really good. And I think I think you ought to lean into how you're structuring this. But do you see how her structure of giving the hows is going to inform how she then is going to teach this lesson. She's going to say this, and then her whole point is going to be, well, how do you make this happen? Well, Scripture tells us this is how you do it. Any help for, um, for this outline? Any thoughts? Well, I just want to encourage you, and, um, because that's what Paul would do. He would tell us who we are in Christ, then he would tell us what we need to do, but then he would help us saying how we can do it. And you followed his pattern. Yeah. So you did a great job on that. I'm just charged for tutoring. Yeah, excellent. Excellent work. Excellent work. Um, Ryan Smith, uh, FCF is often we refuse to obey God. We don't understand what he's doing. So the prop is because God has a reason for what he commands you to do. You must obey him in faith because God does not always reveal everything he has planned. You must obey him in faith. So his repeated idea is obey him in faith. Okay. Um, God provides an opportunity for Abraham to demonstrate his love. Okay. What's the difference between these two? When God commands him to sacrifice Isaac, he's testing his love, but Abraham is unaware he's also testing his faith because God is going to provide a substitute offering. Good, okay. So he's testing both his love and his faith, but Abraham only knows that his love is being tested. Okay, very interesting. And, and um, you just, good answer, great answer. Um, you just need to be able to explain that in your message, and I'm sure you will. Because God fulfills his promises, you must obey in faith. Um, God had promised a son to the nation to Abraham. Okay. Abraham knew that God would protect Isaac. Good. Um, so he knew God would fulfill his promises and God does fulfill his promises. And then God provides everything you need to obey his commandments. So the tricky part about what you're going to do is you, you might have to, um, you might have to tell like, a lot of the story before you even begin your outline. So this is this. I've done this a few times where you actually, the very first part of your message is your introduction is like the, the, the narrative and you spend, well, I don't know if you're preaching like for 12 minutes, then maybe five. So almost half your message or more on this, on the setup. And then you stop before the crisis moment. So Abraham has taken Isaac up. He's bound him and he's placed him on the altar. And then you say, we're going to look at what the Bible has to say because God does not always reveal everything. And then you, then you walk through what this means. And then when you get to the point of your crisis moment, then you kind of pick up where the rest of your message is. I, I, I don't know if that makes sense, but it's a little tricky when you're, um, when you're telling a story sometimes like that. Any comments for Ryan? I think it's good. I think it's, you've got a good... You might enlarge it just a little bit. I guess Possible. old people need... Need it enlarged. How's that? Good, thank you. Um, so his 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 repeated idea is you must obey in faith, which I think is the right. I think that's the right decision. Excellent. Okay. Any other comments for Ryan? We're going to keep moving. Okay, next up, Charles. Uh, Charles, I'm going to sug- I love your proposition. Because we sin, we must solve our sin God's way to experience God's joy. I think that is tremendous. Me too, because you gave it to me last No, I didn't. <laughs> oh, you're kidding. I'm so sorry. Oh, I, I saw that and I was like, man, now that guy's got it. <laughs> I'm so sorry. That's so funny. I apologize. Oh, you're killing me, Charles. Oh. Oh, I'm so sorry. Oh, my goodness. You got me. Yeah. I did this. Yeah. Okay. It's a lot briefer than that. Yeah. And. And what'd you come up with? Well, I'm following the instructions over here. Oh, no. 
Yeah. This says worksheet for preliminary outline. Okay, so yeah. I did that. Yeah. And then this is last week. It says develop a homiletical outline based on your propositional statement. Your homiletical outline should be two or three levels deep, which mine is. Yeah. Because the one, the Roman numeral one and two is just. Yeah, that's yeah, fine. So one it really and two is yeah. And uh, follow the divisions of your exegetical. Correct. No, yes. So but I thought, well... That's a preliminary, yeah, so, I, I, yeah. I can give you this. <laughs> well, let me, let me see what you got. How does it so, correspond to this? Probably not very well. I mean, can I see it? Do you mind if I look at it? Because <laughs> it, it, might, it might give some insight. Um, because I had to follow the scriptural the verse order. So. Yeah, I think it, I kind of got what you were doing. Okay, so what I... What I did, I kind of scratched a few, a few words, and I have, it, I have it here if you want to look at it while I do this closer so you can see. Um, by the way, I guess I should just pass these out. Here's Abby's, and here's Rachel's. Can you mind passing that to Rachel? Here's Ryan's. Here you go. Um, yeah, here you go. And, and this is not saying that this is absolutely right, Charles. It's just kind of an idea because um, I, I, I kind of... I kind of think, I kind of think that the way you have this structured, uh, and I've said this a couple of times, but I really, I really do wonder if you want to start your message here, because although this is very, very important context, and you can give it as context, I don't know if it's a full point. I have a little section in my messages that I call textual, textual uh, introduction. Um, normally, it's in my introduction portion. Where I will give some background. If you if you listen to my messages, almost always I give some sort of like, here we find ourselves in this section here, and this is what's happening, and this is what's going on, and that's just called textual introduction. And I and I know that that's that's what this would be because it's right at the beginning. That yeah, and I kind of think that if anything, you could almost walk through what you have here as textual introduction because it is is that okay good. So so then I would structure your number two really almost like. Almost like the the main idea of your message and your A, your B, and C and D to be kind of like your one, two, three, and four points. That's what I would say. Okay, that's so perfect. Okay, so yeah, that's what you have here. So because, uh, so what I put was because he is perfect in holiness, and undefiled by darkness. So that's, okay, yeah. you know. And then the second one would be like, I don't have a you must here because I figured, where did it go? Here we go. Because claiming to be without sin is itself a sin. And you have, but can be a remedy. Originally, I crossed that out. But then I saw you included verse 9. You just might want to change, like, claiming to be without sin is a sin. I, I don't exactly know how to say that. But, but the idea is right. And because Christ, I put down here, because Christ is our advocate, because we must do our part, question mark. I wasn't really sure how to, yeah. how to do that. But the idea is, is, is this kind of saying all of these are because statements. Mm -hmm. And what I want, and all of what you're saying is excellent. It just, it needs to go under what's basically your explanation portion of your homiletical outline versus the actual outline point itself. Because you wouldn't ever, you wouldn't want to give this out unless, I mean, this is, this is excellent material. You could almost... You know, write this, and it's it's very well well thought out. But like, so how how you should structure your outline is like this, and I think I have this written down somewhere. Yeah. Is um, your main point, and then you have explanation, and you have A, B. You have if you have an A, you have to have a B. Right. Okay. You don't have to have a C, but you you can't just have an A. And if you just have an A, you might consider, oh, does this go back with the previous? Mm -hmm. Or does it connect to the next? Because if it's just one idea, it, it, it might stand on its own. But very rare, very, if it can't split up at all, if it can't be explained, perhaps it's better part of another point. That's just a kind of a tip. Mm -hmm. Then after the explanation, you might have an illustration and an application depending on how, how it's structured. But, but these, all of this supports your main point, mm -hmm. right? 
And so as part of your explanation, maybe even before you get into dividing it up, you, you expand. You think of this like an like a envelope. You, just, you can expand it out and ex- explain what you mean in those verses. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. So I, I, like I said, I think you have all of the, you have everything you need. Your parts list is complete. You, you, you know what you're talking about. You've got it there. It's crafting it in a way that is, um, that is, uh, that is like, it's like presenting it on the plate yeah. for someone when you serve them dinner. Yeah, I, I plugged in where I would put illustrations. I saw that, yeah. And I, I, I didn't know what all your illustrations meant, but I got the idea. Yeah, I just kept them. I've written them out, though. You'll see it on today's assignment submittal. Great. A good application. Perfect. Hey, Nancy. I'm going to come sit here, but then I... You can come sit. You can, you can hear the rest of it. Okay. So Charles says here, because we sin... We must solve sons, sin God's way to experience God's joy. Okay, Because God is light, we must be holy to enjoy fellowship with him. Because sin disqualifies us from fellowship with God, we must confess our sins to him to obtain forgiveness and restoration. And because we sin almost continually, we must confess immediately upon recognition, recognition, it, recognizing it so that our fellowship continues unbroken. And that, that's, all, that's all good. You don't really repeat, but that's okay because the, same, the, the simple... It, it follows logically, and I, I, would, I would be fine with the way you have this structured here. Yeah. Any more comments for Charles? Okay. Thank you. Absolutely. Um, next, we have Kevin. Hi, Kevin. Because your life belongs to Christ, you must make your life worthy of the gospel of Christ. Okay. The only thing I would, I would adjust here is the make your life worthy, I would, I would just make it cleaner to say live worthy. You must live worthy. Or so, I guess. I don't know if you guys have a different opinion. So because your body belongs to Christ, make your life worthy or live, your, live worthy of the gospel of Christ. Through the help of the Spirit, all things will work to your deliverance. Christ should be honored in your body whether you're alive or dead. Okay, you prob- if you could work to make those a little more parallel. Do you know what I mean by parallel when I say parallel? I just mean that they're, they're, they're roughly similar in structure um, so if you could make that a little more parallel, that'd be, I didn't make a note of this. Sorry, I should have. And then because your Christian walk belongs to Christ, you must li- uh, make your life worthy of the gospel of Christ. So your body and then Christian walk. And then the third one is because your faith belongs to Christ. Um, so this is not something that is generated within yourself. It's not your own. It is you can stand with others who share your faith. Don't fear your opponents. You will suffer because of your faith in Christ. This is sufficiently broad, I think, to cover all three of those. Um, although I'm a little curious of what you mean by this. You know, so maybe, maybe think about that, if there's a sharper way of saying that. Or uh, if you just need to explain it in your, your thing. But the structure's there. Um, and I like your use of you. Good job. Any comments on Kevin's? Okay, let's see who's next. Uh, Wendy, I'm coming back to Wendy's. Um, okay, so I have Donna's. And then do you guys, did you send me yours? You didn't, did you? I don't remember getting it. I'm sorry. Um, Donna, I don't have yours scanned. Um, but I have it. Here you go, Kevin. Okay, this goes to Pat. Oh, you have yours. You don't need it. Okay, so Donna's... Um, I wonder if I can, I wonder if I can like, I wonder if I can do this. I don't know. It used to be, see if I can make this happen really fast. The magic of technology. Give me one second. Talk amongst yourselves. I always wonder what my teachers meant when they said that. I don't know why Kevin's drinking Sprite today. Did you write yeah. You know, if on the mountain, it's not that far. Yeah, tell your mom to stock up the mountain. <laughs> Let's see if it worked. Is this it? Oh, it worked! Amazing. So I'm going to save Donna's here. Okay, Donna, um, where'd it go? There it is. All right, so because God has a plan for your trials, you must respond to trials in faith. 
Um, this sounds very similar to another one we just talked about a minute ago, but that's good. Because God has a plan for your trials, you must rightly view your trials. Okay, trials will come. So she's saying, what does it look like to rightly view your trials? Trials are inevitable. They will come. Trials prove your faith. Trials have a purpose, right? And trials produce endurance. Okay? She gives a couple references here. Because God has a plan for your trials, you must rightly view your trials. Because God has a plan for your trials, your faithful endurance brings maturity. God's goal for his elect is to be conformed to the image of Christ. So verse 4, James 1, is, Let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. There's your maturity right there. Okay? Your faith brings maturity, and your endurance anchors you. What do you mean by uh, endurance? There. Where did you go? Oh, there it is. Do you want me to that? Yeah, perfect and complete. The patients have um, its perfect work. Well, steadfast. I don't, I, you know, I think of steadfast, like anchored, you're immovable, you're yeah. unshaken. Okay. Something like that. Sure. Is that in verse 4 is what I'm wondering? Well, um, if... If you're complete in everything that he wants you to do, as, as far as your sanctification toward Christ, you're yeah. more likely to be. So I think, I think if I were you, that image of being in, of anchored really comes in later, doesn't it? So, let him who asks in faith with no doubting, he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. Let not that man suppose he will receive anything from the Lord. Double-minded, unstable. So that's a contrast. The man who's unstable and double-minded is not anchored. So it, unless it says, I'm just, I'm, I'm, I, don't, I, I, don't, I don't think it's wrong. Like, so here's the thing. I don't think it's wrong. I think you could do it. I think what I'm trying to help you guys do is be extremely tied down to what your biblical text is actually saying in that verse. And not get like, not broaden out beyond the area. And the reason I'm doing that is because I really believe that if you can show someone from the Bible what something really is saying, and you say, if you, when I, my goal is when I say, when I say a point, I say, and people immediately look at their Bibles. I say this, now look at your Bible and see where I'm getting this from. I want people to look at their Bibles and say, oh, he's not just making this up. Like Pastor Marshall's not just there saying, you know, this'll, this'll turn out well. And it's not. I want them to say, if I'm going to say that, I want it to be there. So that's what I'm encouraging you to do is if there's anything in there where you're like, well, it does talk about anchoring, but that's kind of later. Well, then why don't we shift that to where it talks about it so that when you come to that part, you can say, look at your verse. Does that make sense? Um, so because God has a plan for your trials, you must rightly view your trials. You must your, uh uh, see the, okay, so here, this is something else. Number two, your faithfulness, endurance brings maturity, um, is, is not, is not really a command. So we need a command there. So, uh, you have you there, but it's not really a command. So like, for example, you do have a command here, um, rightly view your trials. You have a command here. You, well, sort of, you could say something like call on God for wisdom. And you say, you ask, he's the one who gives wisdom. He gives liberally. I don't know if you, how you need to say that, but you must not doubt. That's good. So here's a command. Don't doubt. Ask for wisdom. Um, strive towards maturity. Something like that. You see what I'm saying? Kind of what, what, um, what, uh, what, what we saw earlier with the love things, where it's the love is the command. I don't think you were in here at that point, but, but um, the idea, Abby said, love this way and love this way, and love, rather than love is this and love is that. To command really does have that impact. Okay, But yeah, it's, it's a, the right structure. I would just work on these being, these being commands, not just statements of fact, like 
this faithful endurance um, brings maturity. Okay, so I think that was last. Did I miss anybody? Great job. Oh, I can't believe we got through all that. Um, so the last thing I want to talk about was a little bit about your illustrations and applications. Um, I know I have not gotten you a ton of direction on this. So here's what I'm going to do. If you want to turn in your illustrations and applications, you can. If you want to hang on one more week, you can. Because we have, if you look at our schedule, um, let's go back to our, our chart here. Today is 324 and 331. I have these two odds and ends at the very end. Okay, so we can delay. What I think we ought to do is I'd like to talk about illustrations and applications a little bit and the purpose behind them and everything. And I, I, should, have, I should have done that before you worked really on, your, on them because I don't want you to have to redo everything. We won't have to. You don't have to redo it. But I, I want you to be able to refine these a little bit. And, and uh, because this is often where a sermon can make a break. If you, if, you, if, you get, if you understand what you're doing with an application, what you understand what you're doing with an illustration, it can really help um, guide you in that, okay? So let's, if you want to turn it in, you can. My suggestion is that we wait till next time. Is that okay? Um, next week it says uh, to do introduction and conclusion. Correct. So what we'll do is I'm going to go ahead and change this. If y'all would just draw an arrow down to 421 for introduction and conclusion. Okay. And you want to start our transitions that week too? So the tra- everything just moves down. It moves down one. Because your, inter- your conclusions, your transitions are, um, are really like the last thing you do. Well, yeah, pretty much. Introduction and conclusion really is the last thing you do. I'm just going to scooch this down here. So you don't have to turn in a first draft of your sermon, okay? There's no checkbox next to that. But I would like you guys to, to, do, to write the one to three uh, thing. Uh, we're we're going to meet on the 31st. Oh, I didn't give you any. Still not helping. If we're not talking about applications, and then how are you going to help you? How am I going to help you? I know, I know. I know. I just realized that. Yeah, yeah. It's probably not wasted paper, Pat. It's probably excellent work. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, could we turn them in and you give us? That's probably what we should do, right? You can let us know if it's. Yeah, that's probably what we should do. I'm sorry. I was, I was, I, I feel bad that I haven't had a chance to kind of lecture on this and kind of give you. My, uh, my thoughts before going in. But if you look at your, your um, worksheet on this, which the, um, it should have given you some direction, perhaps. Wasn't there, was there a worksheet on this? There may not have been. Not really. No? There were some notes. Not a whole lot of detail. I'm going to give you two ideas. And then um, why don't you turn in your notes, and I'll look at them this week, and we will I'll do like we did with this. We'll walk through them. I'll give you some pointers, etc. The main idea behind illustrations is they ought to be a story. Not just a statistic, not just a picture. It ought to be a story. The idea of a story is that it has a, client, it has a conflict and a resolution. Okay? I went to the mailbox. It's not a story. I was on my way to the mailbox, and there was a tiger in my driveway. That's a story. Okay? Now I have an obstacle to overcome. Um, you should not have to do more than one main. If you, oh, if you're, if you have a lot of uh, exhortations, you should probably need to apply each one of those exhortations in your main point. Okay? If you have one main exhortation, one main application. If you have, so therefore, probably one main illustration. Because exhortation and illustrations are tied together. The purpose of an illustration is not to inform, it is to motivate. That's the other thing that's in your notes that I didn't get a chance to say. Purpose of illustration is not to inform, people get it. It's to motivate. And if you can get that as your idea, to motivate them towards doing what you're asking them to do, what the Bible's asking them to do, then you got it. Okay? 
Those are some things to think about. An illustration you want to be very specific is better than general. The last thing I'll say, then we got to go. Specific is better than general. So if you talk about like general things, general people, nondescript people who are, you know, average age, average build, average height, whatever, doing average things, it's not interesting. And very, you, people tend to think, well, if I'm going to apply it to everybody, I got to be very general. The actual truth is the more specific you are, the more vivid it feels, and then people can apply it in their own circumstances. So specific is good. All right. That is not very much help, but hand in what you got and I'll give you some. Uh, yeah, just work on, I'll tell you what, just work on your message. What did I, I just, just closed it down. I, I kind of think we need a little bit more space here. Uh, so what I'll do is we'll talk about, um, oops, those are quizzes. I don't want to do that. Um, So I kind of think we need a little more space here on the odds and ends. We're kind of going to bump into that. So well, let me move this back to what it was. So don't worry about your introductions and conclusions right now. Okay. So really there's nothing. Just work on your project this week. There's no reading. You finished the book. Enjoyed it. Yeah, we're staying too late. We could talk about this all day. Have a great night, everybody. Just turn in your stuff and be done. Thank you.